to Michigan Hockey Cast 6.15, where it might be time to start looking in the mirror. Quickfire answer. How much would you pay for a second-line center? Depends on how good the second-line center is. Who's the best second-line center? That's a good question. Um, is it Lindholm? <laughs> Was it Lindholm? Has it ever been? Uh, I, I mean, I think if Lindholm is your second-line center, you're cooking. And Was it Nazem Kadri two years ago? He was a really good one. <laughs> that, he yeah. was a borderline one seat. Yeah, if you have... Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's honestly one of the things that people don't talk a lot about is how important like having a great second line center is and what that allows you can to do matchup. Is it Philippe Deneau? <laughs> he's he's a pretty good middle six sort of center. He but he's not really a two C, right? Like he's ideally Yeah, two or three, somewhere in there. Okay, so we've had a couple of trades where NHL teams have traded for a second line center. And I mean, maybe you know more about value of players than I do, but like some of these prices have been through the moon. Not even just the roof. All the way to the moon. I thought the Sean Monahan trade to Winnipeg was a little much for me. One and three? Just because I'm not sure he is a second-line center. He's a third-line center? <sighs> the problem for Monahan is, and this is the risk you always have, is that there is a legitimate phenomenon known as a bad team scorer. Essentially, Who just puts in points. Essentially the principle that even on... The 1975 Washington Capitals, no matter how bad of a team you can think, they're still going to score at least two goals per game. And someone's got to score those goals. Yeah. And so there's a phenomenon where you have players that have good counting stats on bad teams. And you think, wow, if they're doing that, on a, great. If they're doing that <laughs> on a bad team, what could he do on a good team? Yeah. And then you find out, no, the guy is not that good. And on a good team, he'd be a third or fourth liner. But because he's in a much better role... Yeah. On a bad team, he's scoring a lot, right? If you get a lot of power play time. Yeah, you just your minutes go up. And and that's one of the things with Monaghan is that he's had a lot of a bigger role. So he's gotten a lot of power play time in Montreal, which has always been where he's good. Don't get me wrong. He was always a good power play player. But, you know, my question is just, is he really a second line center? Would he be better on a third line? Because he kind of, when he was in Calgary, he was really good for a while. Then he hit a weird mid-20s decline. And then their problem kind of became that he was in that weird zone where you're not good enough to be in the top six, but you've never played defense in your life. So you <laughs> can't really play in the bottom six either. Yeah. And Calgary just kind of had no spot for him. And they cap dumped him to Montreal and Montreal did the right thing, which was put him right back up in the top six because they're yeah. trying to lose his stats inflate. And then they get someone to buy in. Plus, there was always this weird love of Sean Monaghan I never really got against like Hockey Night in Canada and stuff. We were always, people always talked about him as better than I thought he was. Is he, he Canadian? Was. Yeah. Well, is that why? Yeah, but like in a different way than other guys, I guess I would say. But so we'll see about that. I mean, what the problem with that one for me was Winnipeg clearly panicked. Elias Lindholm oh, went off the, the board. Did they want Lindholm? I would assume so. Yeah. And then they were like, uh-oh. But the thing about Lindholm is that it's not like he's having the best year. No, he's not, but he has a very established track record. Sure. I mean, if you know, we have comparisons between him and Monaghan, because <laughs> Lindholm and Monaghan were on the same team for quite a while, yeah. and it was Lindholm who kicked Monaghan out of the first-line center role. Uh, Monaghan was the center on the line with Kachuk and Gaudreau, I think, in 2019. I think that was the line. And then Lindholm got on the line, and then that was the great line in 2022. Mm. Um, and Lindholm is a guy that Unlike Monahan, you know can do different things. He can definitely penalty kill. He had a good defensive reputation over his career, which Monahan never had even at his peak. So that gives you some more flexibility to do things with him. And you can play him as a second line center. You can play him on Elias Pettersson's wing, all that kind of stuff. So I like the flexibility it gives Vancouver. I'm always a guy that prefers term rather than rentals at the deadline. But well, yeah, if, if you're you going to go get a rental, you might as well go get a guy. And Lindholm is really a guy. You know, him and Gensel would be the two, right? Yeah. Don't go get... Adam uh, Henrique. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, if you're going to pay a rental for Well, Henrique, it depends what you're paying. So so that was my next question, is after these two guys, what is... Well, now we've had all the, the Nick Dowd talk about how someone's... The asking price for Nick Dowd is a first-round pick. I mean, 
that can't happen, right? I mean, well, someone will probably do it, maybe. So here's the thing for me. Nick Dowd is a classic flat cap imaginary player. (laughs) He's not actually there. In that these players have gained incredible value over the last three to four years. A guy who's a decent player on an absurdly low contract, right? And so you had last year the Tanner Jeannot fiasco with the Lightning. Yeah. Where they went and got a guy who has turned out to not be that great, which you give them credit. They did it the year before with Brandon Hagel, which did work out. But yeah. the difference is we knew Hagel was kind of pretty good. He had 20-some 20 20 goals when he was picked up by the Tampa at that deadline. Jeannot was having a really bad season after a previous year where he was shooting like 25%. Yeah. And it was like, are we sure about this? But in both cases... Cheneau was on like 900000 and Hagel was on that $1.5 million for three years contract. And so then Jack Campbell, similar story with the Leafs back in the day. Like the central appeal of Jack Campbell was he was three years, $1.1 million. Yeah. And so these cap-strap teams, the, these assets, the players who gain way more value than they're actually worth because of the contract. So Nick Dowd's at like, I think $1.1, maybe $1 million flat uh, for this year and next. So that's the the central selling point. My problem is he's got 13 points on the season. And under no circumstances do you trade a first-round pick for a forward. For 13 points? No. It, you don't give up a first-round pick for a bottom six forward. You so, don't give up a first-round pick for a bottom pair defenseman. That's just – that's my rule. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. So do you think that Adam Henrique will get a first-round pick? He'll be close. I mean, that's the problem is everyone's desperate for centers. I mean, the name... So that makes me think, if everyone's desperate for centers, then does anyone need a center? Everyone's desperate because there aren't a lot of good ones. Okay, but my and point is the then if there aren't a lot... forward position. Right, but then if no one has a center, maybe no one needs a center. <laughs> You're always looking to build the depth, at uh, least. I understand, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah, it's... I find that... It's like goaltending, right? Is like, how who's the best name on the market? Well, it was going to be Mrazic, but... He got resigned. It's probably not going to be Ingram. The Preds think they're going to make the playoffs. So Yossi's – not Yossi. Soros. Soros. UC. Soros, well, yeah. Yossi and UC. Soros is probably going to stay. So the now – is, The name is Jacob Markstrom, who's had an unbelievable season. With Calgary. With Calgary. I guess. The issue there is he's got a five or six million dollar cap hit. And Calgary's philosophy is they will never retain salary. <laughs> they just refuse For to. no reason. For no reason. They yeah. just don't. So that limits who can pick him up, which is probably not anyone that's contending <laughs> unless they're like dumping. <laughs> the, the Devils maybe are able to because they've got Dougie on LTIR and they have some cheaper contracts, but they'd have to restructure their books for the future seasons. And I don't know that that's worth it. Yeah. It's, I mean, maybe. I don't think they'll do that. I mean, every time Elliot's brought it up on 32 Thoughts, it's like, oh, it's really hard to do, <laughs> which <laughs> so sounds my, like it's not happening. So my point is, is that like, if everyone needs a goalie and there aren't any out there, then maybe in that sense, no one needs a goalie. I mean, well, you, you just have to hope your guy is good because at that point, I mean, are you going to go get Marc-Andre Fleury? Are you going to go get Jake Allen? I mean, like maybe as like a backup. There's a few teams that I mean, the Devils need to get somebody. Even if you're not going to go for Markstrom, who's a you know, starter starter, they need to get Jake Allen or someone just – you're not going to pay premium for that, but yeah. you just need a body. Carolina, same story, where it's uh, – and the Kings, I guess, could go after Markstrom, but that's an interdivision trade, so I don't know if that one will happen. But Do you think that Calgary will take PLD in return? <laughs> I, You know, we haven't had a trash-for-trash trash trade in a long time. <laughs> we should do PLD for Jonathan Huberto. Yeah, I was just going to bring that. What would ha- – I mean, who, had, the, does anyone benefit there? We used to have some of those. Lucic for James Neal – we David just, Clarkson for Nathan Horton, the like swap <laughs> outrageously bad contracts and see if he, it's like turning the computer off and turning it back on again. <laughs> well, that was the Kuzmenko thing, right? I mean, they wanted to well, get Well, that out. was the nice downside or upside for Vancouver in that trade was that people, I think to some degree with that trade, there was a difference of quantity versus quality mm-hmm. in the return there. People were like, wow, Calgary got a lot. And I was like, so I got Yoni Yermo. Who no one's ever heard of. Have you? Totally irrelevant. No. You, okay. He's like ten points in the Liga at like age twenty four. Okay. He's just a he's just a name. Yeah. They got a first round pick that's gonna be pick twenty eight through thirty two, something like that. Yeah. Which we know from pick values is not that valuable. Um 
they got Andre Kuzmenko, who is maybe to them as a positive asset, but to Vancouver was a negative asset, especially because right. he had another year. So for them, that's great because they got that off the books when they need to re-sign Pedersen and Philip Peronik. Uh And then they got uh, Hunter Brustevich, which who is definitely... We almost got Yeah, this Hunter is our Brustevich. segue to the show, but <laughs> he's one of those guys that there was definitely a lot of disagreement on that one because he's had this great season in the OHL, has a ton of points... Everyone's like, wow, look at the statistical model I have. Yeah. Based on this, I can tell you right now with certainty, he's Adam Fox number two. <laughs> and the internet prospect people from EP Ringside and other sites were like, no, he's a stiff. Not- <laughs> Canucks are selling. They're all Craig. <laughs> Canucks are selling high. This is a great move. He's on a team where it's high scoring. He's racking up a ton of points. Dude can't skate or think at an NHL level. Like, this is the right call. So, who knows who will be right in that one. Does he have a lot of defensive zone turnovers? <laughs> but I will say I was looking back at the discussion. The, I was looking back at some old trade deadline stuff from five years ago. Yeah. And there's a quote from 32 Thoughts when Elliot said that Calgary almost had the deal for Mark Stone done, but they didn't want to give up Yusuf Valimaki. Who's, who's that? My word of advice if you trade prospects for good NHL players, you'll win the trade most all of the time. Almost all the time, yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. All right. So we've had some NHL trade talk. Should we move on to some sadder hockey talk? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're very excited. <laughs> Would you rather talk about basketball? <laughs> I didn't think so. Hey, I wrote enough on basketball. <laughs> Are you going to write up any of the games this week? I'm doing, I think, tomorrow's game. You know... The truth is, is I had no idea they played tomorrow. So, and by tomorrow, when you're listening to this, it will be today. It's another or earlier this week. It's another 9 p.m. or I think wow, 7, no 7 p.m. It's on Peacock. That's what I was oh, going to say. The Peacock is fine. I don't mind Peacock. I had the 9 p.m. games are like no. Nope. They uh, they thought we were doing Peacock a service by putting a big brand's games yeah. on the network, yeah. but instead they were doing us a service yeah, by, by hiding it. it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the Michigan State-Washington football game. It's a road game against a ranked opponent. Oh, Illinois? I feel very confident it will be a 20-plus point blowout, so the (laughs) recap can be pretty concise. Haikus? (laughs) All right. Now for real. Hockey, I guess. Uh, All right. So the first note is that they brought in Pletsky instead of Tanner Rowe. Does that move your needle at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> the other interesting thing on defense was they moved Luca off the third pair and put him with Jacob Truscott, which kind of signifies the fact that he's not going to be rotating with Steve Holtz as much. Would you agree with that? It's reasonable. I like that. I think. I sure. mean, I think the Warren Truscott thing didn't work. Then they try. They're trying to find Edwards. And Luca probably aren't going to play together, so they're going to figure out, you know, where to put Warren and Truscott, and do you match? Which one do you match with Luca? Which one do you match with with Edwards? And Luca played with Truscott on Friday. I thought actually it went pretty well, at least at least for, for from Luca's standpoint. Um, uh, this game was kind of interesting because it was very not like not a ton of chances um michigan did a really good job through the first two periods of limiting msu's looks uh there were like no power plays like pretty much all weekend but especially on the friday game i think each team ended up having one um no i don't think state did have one it was a not a lot of whistles did this they? week yeah uh, anyway, uh, so you just had some chances. The first period, honestly, there wasn't um, a ton there. Uh, they had, I thought Barczewski played fine. He was pretty good with like scrambly stuff around the net, like just finding the puck and poking it away, finding the puck and like freezing it, doing something uh, that he's generally been pretty good at. He's not one to sort of lose pucks in and around himself and, you know, they get tapped in and that kind of thing. It's usually he's beat from a, a pretty good good shot or good chance. Um, the one thing of note was, did you see the Michigan State review just about into the after halfway when Estapa like crunches a guy into the I boards? I saw it very briefly, but they never showed us like a proper... I, I just thought that was a very interesting challenge because like you lose your timeout, which is not the biggest thing in the world, except that you basically lose the ability to have a free challenge. And that's the one that you took. Now, I guess it does make sense because it's Marcus Stapa and he does come with a bit of a reputation. Sure. But 
I don't know, like halfway through the first period of a hit that seemed pretty harmless just inside the offensive zone against the boards and like they reviewed it and I was, you know, Peter and Zook and I were sitting there like, what are you even looking at? They need to do the NHL challenge rule. Where they can't, where it's not the timeout thing anymore. Yeah. If you challenge it, you lose, you get it's a, pe- a penalty. Yeah. And none of this nonsense. Right. I thought they had switched to that, but and that was earlier on in the year, but I guess... I guess not. Um, State did hit the post sort of late in the period. There was a, a shot from not too far out that fluttered over Barczewski and hit the post and came out. And that was really um, most of the really good chances. Shivsky also had one good chance early on uh, that Augustine made the save. Spoiler alert, that'll happen a lot. And then I thought Rutger negated a breakaway by like just turning on the Jets and running a guy down. I think it, it was our buddy... Red Lobster, who was caught from behind, his tail was caught from behind. But so zero zero after one, um, not a ton remarkable. The funny thing about this game was when it got to the halfway point of the second period, I was starting to write up a tweet, and I was like, "This is night and day from the last one. This was really structured." Oh, like seven, yeah, yeah, like the first two Michigan State Michigan games, it's like wide open. We're, we're trading chances back and forth, you know, high danger, high danger. Mostly the second one. Yeah, and so in this one, I'm through 30 minutes, I was like, this is a really structured game. These two teams are not taking too many chances. They are really disciplined. Well, I think... And then after... <laughs> like, I was in the process of tweeting it when the first Michigan goal was scored. So then I was like, oh, I got to tweet about that. And then the Michigan State goal was scored. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> quitting Twitter now. <laughs> delete. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this is where the sort of the first controversy comes into play. The one thing that I thought that I will say about the refing is like you said there weren't many whistles and you were right that I thought they missed like three or four icing calls, which were interesting, that they just let go and you're yeah. like, I think that's icing again and again and again. And finally they called one. But anyway, so early in the second period, uh Shifsky gets a puck in the net after a shot comes in on Augustine and he comes out and Saves it, but doesn't really have it. And as he's sort of maneuvering around, it drops out. And Shipsky finds it and throws it in the net. But the referee had lost sight of the puck and the whistle had blown. So that one was off the board. Did you have an opinion on if you thought that that was a correct whistle or if it was quick? I, I thought it was pretty quick because I could kind of see the puck not totally secured. I It was hard to tell for me on TV. I, okay. I watched the replays, and I was like, I can't really tell what's going on there. Um, so you weren't surprised? I tend to prefer quicker whistles in those in general mm-hmm. around on scrums around the net because then it can get out of hand. Yeah. If they're all digging away, and That's they true. start throwing punches, and it gets chippy, <laughs> and I'm like, blow the whistle! Stop! <laughs> <laughs> Don't let them decapitate each other. Yeah, yeah. and take out the goalie. So I'd, it's just tough. It's tough luck. Yep. No, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. Um but, you know, in a game where there were not going to be many goals for the majority of this game, you know, that was a big one to come off the board. Um, and, you know, it's pretty even. I mean, Augustine starts playing pretty well because Michigan get does get a couple chances. Um, I thought LaPointe had a pretty good look and, and Brindley had a good look that uh, the shot went wide and Rutger had a shot that went wide. I mean, they, they, Michigan was creating some chances. I thought Barczewski was matching Augustine mostly play for play halfway through. It was about 14, 13 in shots. So you're getting kind of a, an, an even game and there's like, you'd said no goals. And, um, then finally Brindley breaks the deadlock with a really nice toe drag when he, when he goes around Neenhouse and just fires far side and beats Augustine. It's just a very, Gavin Brindley play and shot as they get out in speed on a three on two and he just makes a guy miss and then NHL shooters shoot. Yeah, that a nasty toe drag. Yeah. But this is kind of the problem and you've touched on this before and then, you know, I'll have something to say a little bit about the defense as well. But um, so you sent me a screenshot of this turns into a goal in within five seconds and Michigan basically has state cornered on the boards. They have enough people back. They're not really in a bad situation. But Tanner Kelly kind of gets away from Moldenauer, walks down, and then I, you know, we debated is Edwards sitting back and waiting for a pass that doesn't come? Does he not see that there isn't a guy creeping in behind him so he doesn't have to? But he, Edwards just kind of sits on the far side of the slot and lets Kelly walk in and 
beats Barczewski. And, um, you know, maybe Barczewski could do a little bit more with that play, but like it's at the top of the crease and your defenseman's like standing there, not doing anything. Uh, to me, that's as much on Edwards as anything else. Oh, it definitely is. Um, I think with this play, so you have the entry comes in along the wall. You get a hard check on the boards there for Marshall Warren. Puck uh, goes to the guy behind. And yeah, there's three Michigan players in the area. When you look at it kind of setting up, he starts to swoop in around Moldenauer. And Edwards is in the middle. And you, I think he's worried about the backdoor cut. He's got TJ Hughes coming in the slot. He starts to see TJ Hughes and is trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And I'm I'm not opposed to playing a soft gap there and giving him some space because you do trust the goalie on a on a shot coming from the wing, right? As long as he's to the what, side. What can't happen is allowing him to swoop through and tuck it back post. And right? to get into the I, top of the crease. I think what I'd prefer there is say, okay, stand in the slot, take away passing lanes. Trust your goalie on the straight up shot. Yep. And then if he comes in your area, you got to take him out. Knock him down. Yeah. Knock him down, tie him up his stick when he goes to the right. Like that's the frustrating part is yeah. when he comes around the goalie and he tucks it in back post. You know, trust got uh, Edwards. Edwards has got to be playing that. Well, because at the end of the shift, at the end of the day, I mean, you he's, play. he's right next to him. Right. Like he's standing right there. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like, so he's just like there, <laughs> but he might as well have been getting a soda or something yeah like that's the kind of stuff when we talk about the defense and you know there are you know we'll get to more defensive zone turnovers that happens in the third period but you also have to like make plays when they're available and there's a play to make on a guy who's trying to score a goal yeah i mean there's just i I, you know anyway so and the thing that you had mentioned that i briefly briefly alluded to earlier was that you know over this year michigan has done a really poor job of like having a good next shift after they get a goal. Yeah, I mean, the next shift after is brutal. And that's what this was. I mean, it was, what, 25 seconds, that's, 30 seconds, something like that? It's it's kind of like baseball in some ways. Where, where when you get your pitcher a lead, have, you need your pitcher that needs a inning. shutdown inning. Yep, yeah, exactly. same story. You need a couple good shifts just to consolidate the lead and, and get those score effects into the game. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, that, and you know, and the, the other thing, you know, that we can talk about later too, but you just – you're not going to beat Augustine a lot. Like this weekend, Brian harped on the fact yesterday on the podcast that they only scored three goals. And I said, yeah, you know, you, you got to score more goals. But sometimes when you go up against a really good goalie, you don't get a lot of goals. Sorry. So, w- w- I don't know when we're going to talk about that part. But the thing I thought and just generally want more of if you play Augustine again is point shots through traffic. Okay. That is... Definitely, you see this in the NHL, playoff sort of style goals, that if you're playing goalies that are generally going to stop shots, if they can see them clean, what you got to just start doing is... And Michigan kind of has those net front guys that can yeah, tip stuff. It's just, it's, it's not an analytically good look, but you need to just throw pucks on net through traffic, get some bounces, because if the goalie is seeing everything well and they're locked in... The only way you're going to beat him is on rebounds, on stuff he just can't stop, deflections, yeah. things like that. Especially a guy who is... And I think this is a tough matchup for Michigan in part because they feel like, oh, we can just create the game-breaking play that breaks it all open. And sometimes the goalie has answers for those plays. Right. And, and But there just aren't... Like, Augustine is not the same caliber of goalie as Michigan is used to facing in general. I mean, they've done that against most teams. I guess they did... I mean, they hung, what, five on him and seven on him two, three weekends ago. Yeah, but the, I think also that weekend they were getting much better chances than they did this weekend. That's they true. got some real good ones this weekend, yeah. sure. But I thought MSU played much better defensively oh, this weekend. Oh, I think that MSU... They were much stronger. I think they were better around their net. They played Michigan... They've, they've, Michigan and Michigan State have played four times now, and each time I think that yeah. Michigan State has gotten better. Yep. It's like what... I mean, I wrote in the... The breakdown on, I don't remember if it's Friday or Saturday night, but that, I think it was Saturday, where it's a, it's reminiscent of what Michigan did to Ohio State last year. Yeah. Where every time they played them, they played them better. And then the last time they played them, they shut them down. Yeah. And that's, you know, and then when you have the goalie, I mean, you know, we've, <laughs> we've talked about Augustine before. We'll probably talk about him in the future. Hopefully not after this year. Hopefully he's just gone. But, like, when you have that guy your margin for error is so much wider. And Michigan, 
does not have that guy. They have a good goalie. He's a really good college goalie, but that requires structure. And when Michigan plays with structure, he's very good. When they don't, he's not. And Augustine, don't care. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that conventionally you sort of think that making life hard on a goalie is getting a two-on-one or getting a breakaway or getting an A-plus look. But there are all, there's also the truth that hard on a goalie is obscuring his vision, creating yeah. traffic in front, battling hard for rebounds. Like we last playoffs, we saw Andre Vasilevsky have a bad series and his last two bad series, the one against the Leafs and the one against Columbus in 2019. If you go watch those games, most of the goals were point shots through traffic. Hmm. Like that's it's just if a goalie's locked in and they're seeing everything, you got to shoot when they're not seeing it. Yeah. And, you know, see if he can just make it a little busier on them. So 1-1, one, one, uh, Michigan does get their power play chance here. Uh, Brindley has kind of one good look, and then Hughes tips a shot. A really nice tip, actually. It just goes wide, um, but nothing there. Uh, and then Augustine kind of goes to work, shuts down, makes a big save like in tight, uh, makes a great save on Ernesty, and then there's like just more of him being him and that was kind of how the second period played out and and that's when like you go to the end of the second period and you're just kind of like you know it's not like we're playing poorly they were actually playing well state was playing well but it's just when you like you'd said when you play a goalie that's of that caliber sometimes you have to do some different things and you you have no margin for error and you just have to be better yeah i mean there's just nothing i mean i don't know what else you want you know? Yeah. So going into the third, you're just kind of like, uh-oh, well, here we go again. <laughs> like, we got a tight game, and who's going to crack first? And I'm like, ah, God, I think I know the answer to this question. And, um, you know, they almost give up the, the goal right away, but uh, Barczewski makes a, a big save, and then Marshall Warren pulls a puck basically off out of the crease, sort of close to the goal line, and flings it away. And you're just like, whoa, you know, right after another defensive zone turnover. And um, Rutger gets a really good chance at the other side, but Augustine pokes that away. And then you just get a couple of – Michigan State starts to turn up the pressure. And, Mich- and Michigan gets kind of stuck in their own zone a little bit. They can't really get out. Barczewski does make a couple of saves. And then with a, just about five minutes in, the, you know, State finally cracks one through as – I think it was the Casey and Duke line that were just or pairing that were stuck in their own zone. They couldn't get out. You said Casey kind of botched an exit. Looked like he might have been able to. This play was so frustrating because it starts way before anything happens. Michigan State's changing. Casey's in his own end. Michigan State has very little pressure. He just needs to skate out and start going up the ice. He makes a stretch pass kind of in his own end up to the neutral zone. It's intercepted. And just felt like a really sloppy low effort one. MSU responds because they're not ready to really push. They just chip it back in. Yeah. They're still changing. Varchesky comes out to play it. He's got options on both sides, and he rims it past. I think it was Warren on the other so side. So was that on Varchesky, or should Warren have handled it? I thought it? it was a little hot to handle for okay. Varchesky, and it goes right to an MSU guy. And then from there, they're on their heels. They do not touch the puck again after that. Yeah. But I was just sitting there like, get it out. get, Make a pass. And then, so now they're on their heels, they're chasing, they're chasing, they're chasing. And when they're in those situations we've seen this season, they get, they're liable to get broken down. Yep. And in that situation. And someone just beats them. And then what, Daniel Russell just picks a corner and it's a good shot. Yep. It's passed through two guys, right to a guy in front. That's really hard for Barczewski as we talk about passes from behind the net because you don't know where it's coming. And then, you know, you just, you, you have a guy that puts on a good shot. He doesn't put it in the middle of his chest. He finds a corner. He's able to hit it. And it's two to one. And, you know, that's just, you're going to have defensive zone turnovers in hockey games. It's very hard to not have any. But when you play against a team with a good goalie, when you play against a good team in general, you don't just get to live that way and have it be okay. That's just, that's just not how it works. You don't get to just make a lot of mistakes. You have to play a higher level game. And when you're in these games that matter now because you've given away too many games throughout the year, you, you don't get to make mistakes without paying for them. And, you know, Michigan made this one. And then, you know, they, on the sec, uh, like right away after that goal comes in, it's three to one because Dorwart gets inside of Holtz. And I, I looked like he got a tip. They didn't give him credit for it. I, I guess if he doesn't tip it, then maybe Barczewski's a little bit more liable. Um, but 
Holtz has definitely beaten to the post, and it looks like the stick gets out there. It looks like it's tipped up over the pad. Maybe the shot just comes in and is high over over Barczewski's pad, but um, either way, like, you know, it easily could have been a tip. It may or may not have been. I, but... I, it was really hard to... They never showed us a proper replay of this one yeah. on BTN Plus. So I was sitting there just I, at first look. You're like, oh boy, like that's a bad goal. That cannot go in. Yeah, I don't know if it was tipped or not. It's still not a great one, even if it is. Um, even if it's tipped, like he just needs to be more on the post. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, because he's on the post already. I mean, the guy's coming left to right. He's already pretty there. It just hops up over his shoulder. I think is what. Or just over the pad, over if it's the deflected. Pad, exactly. yeah. I mean, it's he wasn't sliding across. He was already across. I don't know. that. It just was not a very pretty-looking one. But I I have to kind of reserve judgment until I could see a better look at it. The thing with me, then, with that is, like, you know, and we've seen this happen before too much with Michigan, is, like, when something goes wrong, it kind of cascades and spirals and multiple things go wrong. They're not always the best at taking a punch or a bullet and then, like, getting back up and being able to continue on and fighting back into it. And, you know, 2-1 is, you know, manageable. It's one goal. You can go down and get a goal off of anything. But once you're – now you're down two goals and there's, what, 12, 13, 14 minutes left. I mean, that's just a lot. And, you know, we saw that on – They were they were done after that. It's what it really felt like. Um, and we see that on Saturday. It's kind of the same situation. They do get one back on Saturday. Yeah. But – I thought they had a little better push in the in the third on Saturday, but it was still not particularly great. So Michigan does get some chances down three one, and you know State not doesn't completely back off, but at that point, you know they've done their job, and now they just need to protect their goalie, and you know, and he he just you know Augustine just makes all the plays. They even get on Michigan State's power play that they finally have is each team gets one, which. Hey, I'm I'm fine with um for the most part, but it is kind of weird that like after the you know what that Friday game a few weeks ago where there's 150 penalty minutes or something like there was literally four <laughs> on Friday on this Friday, um the Dylan Duke gets a penalty kill breakaway which you don't see a ton of and he can't score on that and and then once was denied that you're kind of like that well, felt like the opportunity yeah because then it gets to three to one and you can get an extra attacker goal or you get a nice bounce or something but when that didn't go in they have a couple more chances Rucker and Brindley but pull the goalie call timeout give up empty net goal one empty net goal two it's five to one and it doesn't really feel like a five to one game it's probably more of a you know three to one whatever but you know Michigan didn't play poorly they just didn't play well enough to beat a hot goalie, and they were sloppy enough in their own end that it cost them. And, you know, you just, your margins of error are smaller when you face good teams, especially with good goalies. Pretty much. All right, we will take a break and come back and talk about the same game again on the next night. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Oh, 
going 0 for Yost against Michigan State. Michigan goes to LCA to play the Spartans in uh, home and not Joe. Home and pizza? Home and something? Something. Yeah. And, you know, you know it's just kind of just it's disappointing when you don't beat a team at home during the year when you have plural chances and you're Michigan. Um, and, they, you know, they had to come out with a little bit of fire, especially after the last two times, like I said. And I thought that they played really well in the first period for the most part. I mean, they controlled the play. They controlled chances. I mean, shots were like 8-3, 9-3, something like that through the majority of the game. And they were getting guys chances for uh, a lot of different people. Like Edwards walked in and had a really good look. Brindley fired one wide from, from close. Uh, TJ Hughes had a really good chance. Um, Moldenauer had maybe the best look where he shoots. And I didn't really like his first shot, but the puck kind of comes back to him. And then he tries to kind of go around Augustine, but can't get it inside the back post. And so they have their chances, um, but just can't really get one in. And then, you know, the the defensive sloppiness kind of picks up again as Luca misses a puck in the slot. It kind of comes to him and it gets through him a little bit. Truscott doesn't really come out to play it, but he tries to block it. Tanner Kelly grabs it, a buddy from Friday night, and sort of has a whip around chance a little bit like Shifsky did against Ohio State the week before from the slot and it beats Barcheski and Michigan State's on the board and you're just like you know all these chances you can't get one by Augustine and then kind of a, a little bit of goofiness and a slight misplay and all of a sudden State has the lead they need yeah that was kind of one where they needed a save but that's a hard one for Barcheski with the guy spinning around yeah that was always the appeal of the spinoramas you shield the puck a little bit and he might have even been a little screened by Truscott, who was right in front of him. Yeah, it's just that moment where you've been really dictating play. And yep. then you have a, one bad bounce, and you just need someone to find a way to make that not end up in Did your the net. puck jump over Lucas' stick? Is that what it was? Because it looked like he had a chance to grab it, and he just he, it eluded him, and, or yeah, he just it, missed it. Yeah, he, yeah. Um, Barczewski did make a couple of really nice saves in this period, though. And a game, a period that Michigan mostly dominated, State had a breakaway that he stopped. And, I mean, we talk about, you know, he doesn't make those bailout hero saves, and he did on the, in that occasion. And he made another big save in front at just after the goal to keep it at 1-0. Um, Brindley has a couple good looks. And then, you know, State gets a couple more. And, you know, it's a different game from Friday. Like, you know, all of a sudden chances are flying, sort of like they did in the first series between these two teams. Um, but at the end of the first period, it's 1-0 State. Uh, and you're just like... We can't ever give them a lead. Like you just you don't know you'll ever have a chance to get it back. Well, this was a classic case of what MSU does well in terms of what they were able to generate. There's definitely a good film room opportunity to break at how they play, but they keep their highest forward in the zone so high that they're ready for any breakout pass, right? Mm-hmm. One turnover and boom, they can flip it up ice and the guy can get a breakaway. Like that that is the way they play. That's why they score so much. And Do you like that? I don't love it as like a base system, but it's fun. Um, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun as a neutral observer. It's a way you can get away with it when you have Barch, uh, Augustine in net, yeah. right? Because sometimes with the risk that it runs is turning games into these shootout race affairs. But they've got a deep lineup of guys who can finish chances, and they've got a good goalie, so it suits their personnel. But it puts a lot of pressure on you, and, and Barczewski was able to keep Michigan in it despite yeah. some of those chances. I mean, I thought he played phenomenal on Yep. There's one one goal where maybe it was a little bit sloppy, but um, I mean, he, in the end, I think he makes, what, 36 or 39 saves and is as a 9-2-3, 9-3-2, something like that. So it's, I mean, save percentage is where you need it to win games. Uh, going into the second period, Michigan gets their first power play, and... Uh, they take advantage of it. Brindley wins a race down behind the boards and behind the net to the end boards and kind of back passes it to Dylan Duke, who's just slightly trailing him and just gets a chance in tight. And it looks like he finishes it far side behind Augustine. And that's kind of the chances that you need to get on, on Augustine is like the, the goal that you referenced on Friday where Michigan state gets the puck low behind the net out in front. And it's just a quick shot. And, I mean, those are real hard to stop. Right. I mean, reaction. I mean, that's not even a reaction save. That's a hope the puck hits you kind of save. Yeah. If you get it's it. great, great hustle from Brindley, especially because the one defenseman who, in theory, can pick up Duke, he's not in that situation because he sees Brindley charging after 
his other defenseman, he needs to be in position to receive a quick pass if there's going to be one. A little, yeah. a little chip away from Brindley. Right. And Brin, you know, gets beat, and there's no one in, in front to guard it. And Augustine is only going to make that save if he gets lucky, basically. Yeah. So it's 1-1, and then they State does get their second breakaway of the day, and you're just like, okay, here we go. And then Jake comes out and makes another save. And, you know, now you're like, okay, I mean, now he's matching Augustine, kind of, and going toe-to-toe and making those hero bailout saves that, you know, we kind of rag him for not doing. And, you know, this is Michigan's chance now. You're like, hey, that you're getting your goalie is keeping you in the game the way that Augustine has. Now you have to find a way to get a goal or two and win this because he, right so far he's having a great performance and, and especially doing the things that are slightly uncharacteristic. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's not what happens. Uh, <laughs> you get another defensive zone breakdown here. It, there's a shot from the point that I, I can't tell if it hits Barczewski, if it hits somebody in front, but the puck sort of then drifts off to the side of the slot crease area and Jacob Truscott is not tying up Shouty, and Shouty just pokes it in inside the post. It's hard for me to put that on Barczewski. Now, if it if it does hit him and not someone in front, then maybe his rebound control needs to be a little better. But the rebound didn't really go out far; it went off to the side. And you know, if Truscott no, is tying think up his guy, there was anything on Barczewski. You no, just... you just have to. I mean, a fourth year defensive defenseman captain, you got to tie up your guy. Hungriest dog gets the steak. How long have you been saving that one on me? <laughs> An old Mickey Redmond phrase. <laughs> I didn't know you had that one in you, Alex. But all right, so it's two to one, and again, it's it's just a, a sloppy play in the defensive end, and you're like, I don't really know what to say anymore. Like, you're gonna do this, you're gonna pay for it. You can't. There's yeah. no real way around it. But it's a, it's a relatively even game. About halfway through, twenty-one twenty are the shots to Michigan State, but they start pushing and taking control. And, you know, it gets a little worrisome then. And, you know, it had taken them longer in the previous games to sort of assert control over Michigan. And they were getting it sooner in this game, the fourth game that they had played. You know, maybe, you know, you get a little bit of a deflated effect where, you know, you just give up these goals and you know who's at the other end and you can't beat him. And you just, your energy drops a little bit and State senses it and they come harder and, and then they break through again, you know, another defensive zone turnover. This time it's it's Warren on the boards where he passes the puck up the boards right to a waiting Spartan who reverses play, other side, and the shot or the puck gets low and Barcheski comes out to stop it and make a make another big save, but then it's the puck instead of being shot there is dropped to another attacker who comes in and, and hits the open net and you know, maybe Barcheski comes out too far. Barcheski definitely Lost his lost his crease in this one. Yeah, that was the one where you're like, ah, all right, that's that may be a little too far because he doesn't play that style necessarily, right? Like he's not like aggressive. He's not Tim Thomas. Like he's <laughs> not going to come way out and challenge it, and then because that was like the way you solved Tim Thomas was that he would come way out to stop pucks, and so sometimes you could shoot off the end board or what, you know, just get him out and down. Mm-hmm. But that's not Barczewski's thing. Like mm-hmm. he he's generally pretty quiet structures sort of coolly and yeah. he just lost he just pushed out too far i think i msu hasn't tweeted this one so i couldn't look at it again but it just seemed like he he kind of lost his bearing do you think that um it, it could be that he just was thinking you know i have to make a play and so like when that gets in your head could you tend to get a little more aggressive instead of like just sitting back and playing your own sort of game like you were talking about it you're you know State is building chances. It's two to one, three to one, you know, and you're all of a sudden feeling like it's borderline game over and I got to come out and make a play. Yeah, it is a possibility. But the problem there, again, for me, starts with Warren is on the boards and he just passes it, gives it away in his own zone. I just feel like, yep. you you know, I again, I know this isn't an NHL level and I know that hockey is never perfect and always clean. I just think you can't, if you give the puck away in your own zone, it's very hard to complain about the puck going in your net, to me. I'm not saying that the goalie can't make a save or that the goalie can't bail you out because that's his job or that, you know, he can't do something else or whatever. It's just like, yeah, I gave the puck away in my own zone. So what? Sure. Go make a save. Like, I yeah. can't say that. <laughs> yeah. It's just, that's where it starts, man. And they just do it too much. And it's three to one. And there you go. I mean, then Michigan State actually gets a couple power plays, one 
right at the end of the second period where you're like, wow, this could get a little bit ugly. And actually, it wasn't a great kill from Michigan. Um, they get it because the puck doesn't go in. Uh, but there's some loose scrambles in, in front. There's you know a one-timer that just goes wide that's in tight. Um, but Michigan evades that, keeps it 3-1. to one. Barczewski's, again, starting to play well, making more saves. Um, and then at the end of the period, I, I just kind of like tuned this out because it didn't look like anything was happening. But, um, you know, you get low enough and it's not really a rush. But Rutger comes in and fires a puck late, I guess, like after the whistle. And so then there's a scrum behind the net and they start pushing and shoving. And then, Mich- and then Michigan it was uh, gets a, pa- a penalty for... It didn't become it? it didn't become the Morgan Riley Ridley Gregg situation, <laughs> but there, in the aftermath of the Ridley Gregg thing, there was a lot of people who ostensibly are hockey followers. They're yeah. paid to follow hockey, ask, acting like they were born yesterday. Like I was never told of the unwritten code. What you know? It's whereas I mean this. I remember this as a kid in one of the NHL games I had. That was like a classic thing. If oh, you, like video game. If you came in offsides yeah. and then shot. Yeah. It was an instant brawl. It was every <laughs> time. That was how the game was programmed. Instant <laughs> brawl. Like that's one of the oldest unwritten yeah. rules. Yeah. Like you yeah. So did you think this should have been a penalty? Like was it was it late enough? I was it for that or was it for the scrum? I could oh, never, I, I could never tell. There was all everyone got around. So the announcers were, made it sound like oh he shot it kinda late and this I've is... never seen them really give penalties for, for that. that. I always just assumed it was for the ensuing but they didn't do matching then. Yeah, that's true. It could be. Like I could see if they if they took them both. Yeah. But because it's just one, you're like, all right, guy. Like, period's over. What are yeah. you doing? You're gonna hurt somebody, which I'm fine with. Like game. I mean, if you have to give some leeway, you know, within a second or two after the after the whistle, because like, sure, you know, you're, you're trying to score goals here. But at some point, you're just like, and you know that this is the classic situation for a frustration penalty. Oh, Three yeah. to one. You're gonna get. Swept on the weekend, and, you know, Rutgers probably feeling a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, Bear was like, oh, Rutger, you know, blah, 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 on the MSU side. And I, I was watching that, and I was like, yeah, he was right to be annoyed. Like, yeah. But, but I, I didn't think Rutger was really trying to start something. I, I don't know exactly. It was probably just frustration. Probably. He probably wasn't attempting. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if he can catch Augustine off guard, you know, you can knock him out yeah. of the game and maybe he could score a goal. But um, anyway. We're obviously not advocating that. Uh, so going into the third period, then three to one. I don't. At that point, like I tweeted at the end, my end of second period tweet, I was like, "Good luck beating Augustine twice." Like you might, but I how many? I mean, what are the, what percentage chance do you have to do that based on these last you know five periods I've just watched? Like not high at all. Yeah. So they they kill the penalty. Rutgers on sportsmanlike penalty, relatively easy. Um, and then State gets their third breakaway. And this one go, does go wide. I think I don't think Barczewski gets it. He comes out to play it, but the shot um, just misses the post. So keeping Michigan, you know, sort of in the game. And I honestly, I'll be honest, I did not take a ton of notes in this third period. I was starting to collect my thoughts and write up what seemed to be an empty net 4-1 win. Um, but um, McGrady does make a really nice pass later on in the third and hits Brindley at the back post. And Brindley just beats this guy, gets his stick on the ice and taps it in. Uh the funny part to me was this was during the time that you and I were debating the top line thing of like, yeah, do I was we break saying they the should break line? it up just because I felt like for the last little while that's been Michigan's best line. They tilt the ice most shifts, yeah. but I thought they'd mostly gotten their lunch handed to them in this game throughout this game. Yeah, I thought they were not good and I thought that they lost most of their shifts and in the third, it felt like the third on, on the previous night where Michigan just didn't have any jump at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, sometimes that's how you do it. You just blendered a little. Yeah, you, you're looking for a spark. Just switch one guy on one line, one guy on another line, and just see if that can get anything going. And then they made it happen. So. Yeah. So when you were saying that in the context, did you just mean for the game or going forward? Just for the game. Just, okay. So you're still on team I, hero a, line? I, or are you okay it, either it's way? It's been so good recently that I think it's earned the right to keep giving it chances. The thing with that roster construction, line construction, is that line has to be extremely good to justify staying together. Yeah. Right? You, When you put all your best players on one line, they have to be dominating every shift, or else it's probably a better idea to spurn it out. And for the last few weeks, they had been. They've scored a lot of points. They've been clearly a great line most games, but they, they weren't as good in that one, so I just thought maybe switch it up a little bit, but then they created a goal. So then I was like, okay. And, then, and 
last week in Columbus, obviously, you know, Buckeye caveats apply. Yep. But, you know, they got depth scoring. Like, the top line didn't really score much. Right. They had the one big goal on the Saturday game to extend the lead back up to two to make it three to one. But you were getting Ernesty goals. You were getting Shifsky goals. You were getting defenseman goals. I mean, right. and that's – when you do that, then hell yeah, play the hero line together. Like, <laughs> um, So they do make it three to two, and then – you know, Michigan has chances to tie it. You know, Nazer makes a really nice move, evading two or three guys, but just can't really get a shot off. He gets into the crease or slot down towards the crease, making two guys miss. And you're like, I mean, this is a play of the year candidate. He just can't get a shot to put it away. Um, and then, you know, they pull the, uh, ex- the uh, extra attacker, pull goalie, have the extra attacker, and Duke gets a rebound and the puck just jumps the stick. And he's got Augustine down and out. And it's a wide open net, and he just just doesn't get on it. And it's not his fault. That happens a ton in hockey. If you've ever played those kinds of sports, it's the way that it goes. It it was a bummer that it happened in that situation. It was kind of fitting, though, for the weekend of just like, you know, this is just a missed opportunity. Yeah, it, they struggled in the faceoff dot late in that game. There, they won one or two with the empty attacker, you know, empty net later in the game. Yeah. But before that, the final three, four minutes, there was three straight offensive zone draws that they had that they didn't win, and MSU quickly cleared. So that was something, that was an interesting little piece of why they had a little bit of trouble. But then they got the chance they needed right at the end, and they just didn't put it in. So Well, then they call the timeout and pull the pull Barczewski again, and they, have, they get two great looks for Brindley. I mean, he's sort of unchecked and in inside the house or right on the edge of the house. And he gets two big blasts and, you know, we miss them both. And, you know, that's going to happen, but you know, they get the looks, they get the chances and they, they just don't put it away for one reason or another. Pretty much. One interesting thing that really uh, was brought up in the corners of Spartans Twitter is that uh, the MSU hockey apparatus seems to really believe that their strength coach is a big, big deal for their program. They have a Ben Herbert. Well, if you've noticed, they come back in games a lot. Yeah. And they have really good third periods. Yeah. And Nightingale continues to basically say, we've got the best conditioned team in college hockey, and we outlast other teams. I don't know. Maybe it's right. Maybe it isn't. Um, kind of hard to tell. But certainly, we are people following Michigan football that have had beliefs <laughs> about the advantages of, of strength and conditioning coaches. So something to keep in mind, I mm. guess, about some of MSU's success this year. So 3-2 final, and that's a sweep for Michigan State. And, you know, that just puts Michigan in a pretty bad situation. I didn't think that they were necessarily the worst team in either game. I think that, you know, they didn't play as well. I thought that, you know, they created as many chances. They just their goalie they had the worst goalie yep and they didn't finish enough and they created they had too many turnovers so maybe in that sense they were the worst team I, you know that's i just meant sort of from a statistical perspective it's yeah, not I, like think, they're getting I thought they own they outshot. generally won the run of play yeah but there's only so much of the terror the territorial battle only matters so much unless you finish you got it yep yep that's and I'm, as i always say the goalie's on your team so it's true so, all right, there were other hockey games played this weekend that are somewhat relevant to Michigan, though not quite as relevant <laughs> until they start winning a few more. Um, but some big things happened around college hockey. Uh, Augustana gets on the win, gets in the win column. They beat St. Thomas four to two, and then they beat them again two to one in overtime. So, are Augie Vikings? Is that what they are? They are. Uh, they have a couple of wins. Good for them. Yep. 10 and 15, I think, on the season now. You know, that's not bad. Nope. I mean, that's their first year or second year? I think this is their first year, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot more than any of the other first-year teams that we remember last year. Yeah, they moved up uh, with a little more, I guess, solid foundation or something. Or maybe they're playing the right teams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Providence forgot the main and lost 2-1 to on Friday and then remembered them again and beat them in overtime 4-3. to That's a big win because main's really high on the pairwise, so... So they're that. So they'll move up on the weekend, and they uh, played two good games against a good team. Like that's right. Those are good results for for Providence. I think in they're the sitting twelfth. They're in a decent spot. UMass beats UConn. It's like uh, old nineties college basketball of some Jim Calhoun and uh, Calipari in the Calipari days. UMass UConn battles, but they 
UMass wins 2-0 and then 3-1. Huskies just, are fading. I'm just surprised at how bad UConn has been this year. 12-15-2. And, and they, they were on the bubble like, last they year. They seemed like a team that was going to be pretty good. And Matthew Wood, 18 points in 28 games in his second season of college hockey after being picked 15th in the draft. Yeah. Who took him? Nashville. Hmm. Uh, Lindenwood beats the Stonehill Stone Rocks 10 to 1. And then, Alex, it happened. It finally happened. The Stones rock and win against Lindenwood 4 to 2. 4 to 2. The fun subplot there is it was their first tweet since they arrived at Yoast like a month earlier. <laughs> so, like, that was like four weeks ago. <laughs> so, they just they give the guy vacation or something? Like, I, you don't have to do anything today. Or... The social media intern got locked out of the account. <laughs> Does anyone remember the password? <laughs> Our IT department of four people is too busy trying to they are, uh, build a computer or something. One and 28 now on the season. I mean, did they win? They won games last year, but not in D1, right? Uh, I would have to look that or, up. Okay. I figured that you had your Stonehill poster up and you were filling in the blanks. I just hope that they did... Um, what the 75 Capitals did when they won their one road game and they were one in 39 on the road and they picked up a trash can and skated around on the ice like it was the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I hope that Stonehill so, did that for us. We we looked into this a little bit and Stonehill's up, what, three to one and then they give up an extra attacker goal yep. and like the just worry and if you Anxiety were a Stonehill had fan, be... you were probably dying. <laughs> no, you can't take this from us. And then they get the empty netter, and it's just got to be the most you know joyous occasion um, to the all 178 people that were recorded at the game. 178. <laughs> Do you think that during the COVID season at Yoast, there were more than 178 people I in don't... the building? Like it, between all of like the staffs and the, the the two teams are both probably what twenty some guys. You have maybe five or staff. seven staff on each team, so that's maybe fifty to sixty between the two teams. Right. So the, and then you I have events. Staff. I don't think there was a hundred and ten event staff and journalists. You don't think so? It was. And then, then they had it, like police, and and you have to have the. I'd uh, say it was close. EMTs. It was probably close. <laughs> I looked it up. They were seventeen six and one last year. They mostly played D three teams. Okay, they played it. They only played a couple D one teams. They got beat real bad every time. Yeah, this was their first year playing a mostly D one schedule. Mostly, yeah. Because now they play Assumption University on Wednesday. <laughs> they were supposed to play Saint Anselm yet uh, tomorrow, but it's been canceled due to weather. Huh. The weather's been great here. I can't imagine it was that much. Eh, who knows? Apparently, it was a lot worse in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. All right. Uh, the St. Cloud Clouds beat Miami five to two and three to one. I believe both of those games were in Oxford, Ohio. So, a couple road wins for the Cirrus and Stratus. Yes. No quippy comeback. No, I, that was that was pretty good. All right. Uh, so now we move on to uh, the Big Ten games. Wisconsin played Notre Dame in Madison, I believe, yes. and beat them four to two and three to two. Wisconsin matches MSU's sweep. Uh, so Michigan doesn't fall again any or lose any points, I should say, against Notre Dame, um, but they do the, against. Go I ahead. should point out the Friday game. Notre Dame was up two nothing in that game, early or late uh, in the first period. Okay, then they gave up two in the second and two in the third. Yeah. But the MSU uh, hockey Twitter was really excited because they were like, <laughs> "We're beating Michigan now. Notre Dame's going to win, and we're going to get buffer and all this." And that didn't happen. Yeah. So. Uh, Wisconsin's next two weekends are both on the road, but against some pretty stinky teams, Ohio State and Penn State. So yeah. if they can take care of business in those games, they can be in a pretty decent spot heading into the massive end-of-season matchup with MSU in uh, Madison. In Madison, yeah. Because it's MSU up five in the standings. MSU's got two home games against Ohio State. So if both teams, let's say, swept the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, it would be Wisconsin up by one point going into that final weekend. Hmm. So it could be interesting. Yep. Uh, so Michigan does not lose points on Notre Dame, but they do on Minnesota, who beat Penn State 3-0 and 3-0. So the Hockey Lions did not get a goal on the entire weekend. Not but good. But it, it was in Minneapolis. Not good. Yeah. 
especially when you have a team save percentage of like 875, you can't be shut out in back-to-back games. I think it's games. actually lower than that. We'll look at it in a second. Yeah. But, so, uh, standings note, Michigan is two points back of Notre Dame with two games in hand. And they play them twice. That one's Yost. doable. Yep. Notre Dame, uh, Minnesota, 10 points back with two games in hand. You play them in the final week of the season. It's not easy, but it is doable. It's doable, but... It's going to be an uphill climb. Right now, it's starting to feel like the most probable outcome is 4-5. Four four five five. With Notre Dame. Yep. It's just true. Clear joy. <laughs> yeah, because you can't play them enough. All right, so now next weekend, Michigan goes to Hockey Valley to play the Penn State Nittany Lions, um, a place that early on in the, I guess, uh, overall series, Michigan had some success. Not as much success lately. They tend to lay at least one egg on a weekend. You would hope that this year, Penn State's down. This is a year that they can push them around and beat them. Their numbers aren't great. We can go through them. Uh, they're 23rd in pairwise, which is a bit far off the bubble right now. They're third in Corsi, which, surprise, no one's shocked at that, the fact that they shoot every four seconds. Um, their power play is not terrible. It's 21%. Not great, but okay. Uh, their penalty kill is beatable. But sort of about the same, 77%. Mm, subpar, I would call that. Well, I mean, we use your test, or the test, right? As you add them together, does it equal 100? And in this case, it's... What, 98? So slightly below. A little below. below. Yeah, but pretty close. Uh, As far as draft picks go, they have three seventh rounders. That was all I could find. Uh, They never have anybody. No one of real note. Uh, They have five skaters that are scoring over .75 points per game. Um, Anybody on that list jump out to you? Aiden Fink, didn't he have a hat trick against Michigan? He could have. He did, yes. He had four goals the first weekend. Huh. So stop that. Yeah. He's their leading scorer. 15 goals, 32 points on the season. In 28 games. That's not bad. He's a freshman, too. Yeah. And so is the second guy, DeMarzico. DeMarzico. DeMarzico is how you pronounce it? All right. Uh, Six goals, 18 assists for 24 points in 27 games. Eh, For a freshman, that's It gives you a little nucleus to start building your next team with. Yep. Problem is, you need to get better goalie. (laughs) Well, and so, you know, we'll get to that. Team, I had the team save percentage at eight six five. You, I mean, you're probably right. You looked is, at college hockey news, which is I was going off what I last remember it was. Okay, but and then their and their uh, GAA is three six nine. Like that is. Well, I mean, this is like you walk into this and you're like, I mean, just put shots on net. Like they're gonna go in. You don't even have to go and get grade A's. Like just get to the net and get the puck there, and you're probably gonna have some chances. The interesting thing is like. So I don't even know who it's going to be. Like they, they Soulier had a was terrible two years ago, and then last year has a very good year. He almost knocks Michigan yep. out of the Elite Eight in Allentown. I was present for that one before Samuskevich rides down the slot and sends Michigan to Tampa. But um, so they play him this year, and he's an eight six seven in twenty games. Noah Granin is the backup. I think Michigan saw that one of those guys uh, earlier this year. Um, he has an eight eight four. I mean, ten in ten games. None of this is good. None of it's like okay. It's all. It's all. What is it, Alex? Bad. Bad. Exactly. It's amazing. Eight sixty five save percentages. <laughs> Team save percentages. Are you guys just skating six? Almost like unfathomable. I mean, that's below NHL league average save percentage, even at the ultimate nadir of NHL goal. <laughs> like tenure. ever. Yeah, 19, 1982 when it dropped to a league average of 873. This is still worse <laughs> than that. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is a series where you're like, I mean, Michigan has to score, what, 10, 12 goals? Like, you have you have to. <laughs> you, yeah. I mean, well, I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so the games are Friday night on BTN minus at 7 p.m. And then Saturday on regular BTN. Uh, you're just, you know, we talk about how bad Penn State is and especially their goaltending, but also like, you know, you want to go to the tournament, like you got to win these games. I I don't know what to tell you anymore. It's not about moral victories. It's not about improving. Well, that we're pushing March here, people. The week that Michigan just had was a real bad one because they came in, I believe, 12th in pairwise. They're 15th. They are 15th now. And that's a big drop. It puts you out of the tournament at the moment. Um, because both the CCHA and the hockey or Atlantic Hockey are, are going to get are auto bids, and really a little bit 
below what you want. So they need to start getting wins. They blew an opportunity to pick up at least, at least one. one really yeah. quality win against MSU. So they need to be crisp. Well, they have Minnesota left. Yep. You know, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is slidden. So they're still they're not, 21st. That's not like an awful win. No. And Penn State's 23rd. If so you can again, beat, if you can beat Notre Dame, then you get another crack at somebody in the in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. Wisconsin or Michigan State in the semifinals, something Most like likely. that. So, you know, it's there. It's just that the, it's things have to change. You know, they. You know, we talked about at the beginning of uh, you know the second half things that needed to be different, and they've they fixed the penalty kill for the most part. I think they've yep. only given up two. Yeah. Power play goals, like since you know Stonehill series, I don't really care about. But after that, in the in the Big Ten play, now now eight games, so it's not like it can't be done. And they've played you know a handful of games where they've been really good defensively. Yeah. So again, it they've put data points in the chart of we can do this. It's just it it has to be more consistent. And you know I don't know when it gets there mentally. If you're just like look, you know, certain habits you can't do them. But it's we're getting to the point of where it's time to look in the mirror and say, you know, do you want to be playing in late March? It's got check time. There you go. All right. So this weekend, two games late. Got to get them both, right? Pretty much. Cast 6.15 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week where hopefully the show number will be lower than the number of goals Michigan scores against Penn State this weekend.